real return bonds essentially have an inflation component built into them. The way we see institutions kind of apply ZRR is essentially, you know, as I mentioned before, as an equity market hedge, similar to ZFL, but you also get the benefit of inflation protection as well. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. As COVID cases rise once again, the U.S. Congress has yet to agree on a second round of stimulus programs. The bipartisan gridlock complicated by the upcoming election has muddled the market outlook for the final quarter of 2020 and left investors searching for ways to de-risk their portfolios while also aiming high for return. In this episode, Mark Rays, Chris McKinney, and Alfred Lee offer practical solutions to the problem at hand with ETFs that write options, adjust to inflation, and rebalance according to where they are in the cycle. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management Canada weekly ETF insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee both portfolio managers on our ETF desk, Chris focusing on equity strategies and Alfred focusing on fixed income strategies. Looking at markets, we of course still have a number of events contributing to volatility. We've got the fall COVID wave, which is now starting to look like it's gonna be even worse in the spring. Uh, The drama surrounding the US election and most certainly, concern over what the U.S. may do over stimulus packages. Now, we've talked about this in terms of factor positioning, but how is this applying to covered call writing? Chris, can you use ZWG, our new global covered call ETF that we brought out earlier this year, uh, to comment on what's available in terms of premiums and option writing? And as well, how is that ETF performing overall in these markets? Thank you. Sure thing. And as you mentioned, still a lot of uh, uncertainty on the horizon as we head into year end and and obviously early into 2021. Uh, Looking at the volatility market specifically and and the forecast for where uh, volatility is going to be in the coming months, you know, about a month ago, um, if you looked at VIX futures markets, um, you know, those markets were uh, predicting a long, uh, drawn-out period of very high volatility following the U.S. election, and this reflected the concern that there might be a contested election and it might be several months or at least a couple of months um, until we even find out who, who won the election um, and who would be in power. You know, increasingly over the last month or so, it, it's become a little clearer that, or at least the markets are expecting that, um, you know, Joe Biden is going to win the, the presidency, and there's also a, a, a strong probability of what they call the blue wave, where uh, the, the Democrats would control all 
um, elements of uh, of Congress and of the government. And so that kind of really reduced expected volatility quite a bit. Um, and the thought of the contested election really um, has, has, has gone away for the most part. Um, and then, you know, September hit um, a little bit of sell-off in the markets. Um, and that volatility has come back again a little bit. So I think there's still less concern about a contested election, um, but still a lot of uncertainty around, you know, how the economy is going to rebound uh, throughout, as you mentioned, the fall COVID wave, which will go into winter, obviously, um, and what economic activity is going to look like. You know, to the extent there is a, let's call it unified government, um, coming out of the election in the U.S., there's a bit more clarity as to, um, you know, the stimulus coming um, in some form and likely to be passed if, again, the Democrats control all elements. Um, and so there's some comfort there, but also, you know, even with massive stimulus, um, it's, it's difficult to know exactly what certain sectors are going to look like if restrictions um, stay in place. And so, again, this theme of elevated volatility, not just even throughout the rest of 2020, but well into 2021, we think plays well for covered call strategies and strategies related to selling options and gaining that volatility premium, as we do expect it to remain elevated for, for the near, near future. Looking at ZWG in particular, you know, that fund has been able to, on a consistent basis, achieve over 5% on an annualized basis each month by selling call options. Um, so that's a nice, decent yield pickup over and above what the underlying portfolio is paying out in dividends. So a very strong income stream coming out of this portfolio. Um, and in terms of how it's performed, it's actually done, you know, pretty much as expected. It's done very well for us, you know, protecting on the downside in March. But over the last few months, we've really had a sideways trending um, equity market, there's there's certainly been some growth leading into September that, uh, you know, a little bit of that has come back. But, um, you know, that's really an ideal scenario for a covered call strategy to, to capture some of that growth and then also add on the option premium on top of that. So, you know, while dividend funds in general and dividend strategies have somewhat lagged this year um, relative to broad markets or market cap weighted indices, um, this fund has really struck a strong balance. Um, you know, outperforming a, a, a comparable dividend strategy by, by several percent um, year to date, you know, still trailing a little bit those the, the market cap weighted indices, um, but to a much less degree and being able to offer, you know, five plus six uh, percent uh, distribution rate uh, on top of that. So very, very um, strong in terms of providing some element of growth and that consistent income stream for income oriented investors. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Good to hear that that ETF is acting as we would expect to do in the in these types of markets. Now, another newer ETF, uh, of course, is our premium yield, uh, ZPay ETF. Um, and it's interesting in that you can really potentially move the equity exposure within that portfolio uh, combined with the option strategies. So to me, it acts a lot like an alternative. So if you can give us an update uh, for those less familiar with this ETF, how has it performed during the most recent market volatility? Thanks. So, um, you know, what we've seen over the last month or so 
as we start to write options that expire in November and cross into this, you know, elevated period beyond the election, um, you know, we're really getting a, a pickup um, in the premiums that we're generating. Um, you know, not to mention, you know, volatility has spiked in general with the September sell-off. So, you know, we're actually seeing the largest premiums um, that we've been able to generate in this fund since March, since the March-April time period. It's really picked up significantly. So, um, you know, able to, to generate a high level of, of cash flow in this strategy. At the same time, the equity weight is, um, you know, relatively low to where it's been for the brief history of this fund. It's at about 30% right now as, you know, the market rally through the summer months has, um, you know, brought the equity weight back down through the strategy we employ, um, you know, selling call options on our equity positions um, to generate even more premium and, and generate that sort of sell signal to to sell equities as they, as they rally. So, um, you know, fairly um, conservatively positioned relative to its own history here at about 30% equity. Um, and that played well in the September sell-off, you know, sort of peak to trough um, in that September period. The S&P 500 in Canadian dollars was down a little more than 7%. Um, and and ZPay was actually flat or slightly positive during that same period. So um, able to generate that cash flow and those option premiums um, while still protecting on the downside with not too much equity weight in the portfolio, we think is is key to how this strategy is going to continue to perform going forward as again, volatility is expected to stay elevated for a period of time. Um, and so what you get ultimately is a strategy that again, is taking advantage of, of the high volatility we see in the market by monetizing it, um, but doing it in a, in a lower risk way than what equity funds would do. You know, the standard deviation of this strategy is about 40% of, of the broad equity market. So you're getting a less risky way to, um, to play the markets and play the volatility in those markets um, and capture a very tax efficient um, cash flow while, while doing it. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to hear that during the September volatility that this ETF again uh, performed as we would expect it to, providing that uh, downside protection in a broader portfolio. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series where we take you under the hood of the BMO GAM product suite. Our latest episode takes a deeper look at emerging markets, an essential exposure often overlooked by Canadian investors. Listen in to learn more about the growth opportunities that exist in this still misunderstood asset class. Check it out. It's the episode dated September 29th in this same podcast series. So, Alfred, let's come uh, your way now. Uh, we've also been getting more questions on the possibility of inflation. Um, that, of course, tying into the announced U.S. policy change around monitoring inflation, uh, but as well, all the stimulus uh, that's out there globally. With gold going through more of a consolidation of late, we've been asked a lot about real return bonds uh, via our ZRR ETF. So, can you comment on how these bonds work, how they uh, protect against inflation, and what should it can what should an investor consider when looking at ZRR? Thank you. Sure. Uh, so thanks, Mark. Uh, it's a good question. I think you know inflation has definitely become a lot more topical as of late. Uh, as you mentioned, I think you know a lot of people are concerned right now about 
uh, central bank balance sheet expansion, uh, commitment to ultra-accommodated monetary policy. And as you mentioned, uh, the Fed recently shifted their um, their policy in terms of being less concerned about short-term inflation targets as well. Uh, in addition to that, I think over the last six months, I think you know concerns about inflation have become a little bit more mainstream. Um, prior to that, it was a little bit more reserved for you know gold bugs and, and guys that were a little bit you know off the beaten path. But now, with guys like you know Gunlack and Ray Dalio making dire, dire warnings about inflation, it's become a little bit more mainstream. So, um, you know, I think if we were to get a concern, or if we were to get a viable vaccine, or you know if the economy opens up quicker than than anticipated. Um, and central banks aren't able to withdraw their uh, quantitative easing, I, I definitely think inflation becomes a little bit more topical. Uh, but in terms of real return bonds, um, real return bonds essentially have an inflation component built into them. So the notional value of the bonds are essentially tied to CPI. So uh, in an environment, if inflation were to go up, uh, the notional value of the bonds were, uh, would be grossed up. So meaning that uh, you know, the principle of the bonds would be adjusted for inflation. Uh, the coupons aren't necessarily adjusted for inflation, so the coupons remain fixed. Uh, but keep in mind, they are indirectly uh, adjusted for inflation because, you know, the notional value would be grossed up. Uh, so meaning that you would receive more uh, coupon payments as a factor of the uh, notional value being grossed up. So, uh, on the other hand, if inflation were to go down, the notional value of the bonds would be adjusted downwards as well. So for ZRR, which is our real return bond ETF, uh, we essentially own all federally issued real return bonds. And, and the reason why we focused on uh, the federally issued uh, real return bonds is because they tend to be more liquid, uh, also because they're guaranteed by the federal government as well. Uh, one thing to keep in mind with real return bonds uh, in Canada is that they do tend to have uh, longer term to maturities, they tend to be issued uh, with long terms as well. Uh, so the best way, in my opinion, to use that RR is a long term strategic uh, position in the portfolio. Uh, so for those of you that have dialed into the call in the past, I uh, know that we often talk about uh, ETFs like ZFL, which is our long federal bond ETF, and, and ZTL, uh, which is a long term U.S. Treasury ETF, uh, basically as a long term strategic position in the portfolio. So you know, a 5 to 10% position in the portfolio uh, to hedge against potential equity market risk, uh, given that uh, long-term bonds tend to perform well uh, when equity markets sell off. Generally, we get, you know, a flattening of the yield curve in that scenario. So ZR, in my opinion, could be used in a very similar way. So it's a long-term strategic position uh, to hedge against equity market risk, but also you get the benefit of inf- if inflation were to, to tick up, you would assume that ZRR would outperform uh, ZFL. Uh, as a standalone investment, uh, one thing to keep in mind is that the duration for ZRR tends to be around 15. Uh, so in a runaway inflation environment, uh, central banks would be raising rates. Uh, so the yield curve would likely steepen in this scenario. So investors would likely be you know, winning on CPI, but not necessarily on, on duration. So uh, you know, the way we see institutions kind of apply ZRR is essentially, you know, as I mentioned before, as an equity market hedge, uh, similar to ZFL, but you also get the benefit of inflation protection as well. Thanks, Alfred. It's uh, a nice one-two positioning uh, strategy there, equity protection and inflation uh, protection. So clearly more and more people are seeing a use for those types of bonds in their portfolios. 
uh, and knowing that the underlying bonds can be difficult uh, and, and trade a little bit wide, going to the ETF via ZRR is a, is a great approach to do so. So I want to switch gears. Uh, just noticing that, of course, now we're in the middle of October, so year-end tax strategies are starting to come into play. Uh, thankfully, 2020 is uh, is approaching its end. So for a new topic, um, can we talk about tax loss harvesting? Uh, this is where advisors will look to offset gains during the year they may have uh, recognized by now harvesting unrealized losses in their portfolios. And ETFs are a great tool for this, this tax activity because, of course, they'll provide a similar exposure to certain underlying equities, which really allows us to stay invested in the market. Can you walk us through the basics then of tax loss harvesting and what to watch out for? Tax loss harvesting, um, I think, is a you know, very effective tool um, that's underutilized by a lot of investors. I think you know, very often when we invest, uh, we're always focused on the investment side of the equation, uh, but not necessarily you know, the tax part of the equation. Um, you know, it's a tool that's very often used at year-end, but it doesn't necessarily have to be applied uh, at year-end. Uh, it could be applied at any time of the year as well. But you know, basically, the gist of it is that you know, very often when we invest in a security, uh, you know, it takes a while for the investment team to play out. So very often, you know, we could be early in making that investment. So uh, in, in many cases, you know, when we make an investment, the stock could lose value. Uh, so in the meantime, we're down on that position. So uh, if we are still bullish on that position or that theme, uh, one thing we could do is sell that security, crystallize the losses, and then use those capital losses in order to offset capital gains in other parts of our uh, portfolio. Um, one thing to keep in mind with tax loss investing is that uh, if you don't have capital gains in that current year, uh, the capital losses could be carried back for up to three years. It could be it could be carried forward uh, to offset future capital gains as well. So as I mentioned, it's a very effective you know tax management strategy uh, that tends to be underutilized by a lot of investors. Um, another thing to keep in, in mind is that. Um, you cannot buy back the same security, so you can't you know, dispose of that security and buy it back right away. Uh, there is a restriction in terms of uh, tax loss harvesting where you can't buy it back within 30 days. After 30 days, uh, you can then buy back uh, that security. If you do so beforehand, uh, it basically nullifies the benefits from a tax perspective. Uh, another thing I want to, to point out is that if you want to maintain the exposure, an ETF is always a good way to uh, you to to you know maintain that exposure. Very often, you know, you can find an ETF that you know tracks a similar sector or a very similar theme. Um, but you could also switch gears as well. So, say for example, uh, if you made an investment in a oil and gas stock and you want to crystallize those losses, you could switch gears and you know, say for example, now you're bullish on banks. You could buy a bank ETF uh, to get that exposure as well. So there's many different ways in which you uh, could use a tax loss harvesting strategy, uh, but ETFs are a good way to, you know, get that exposure after you've disposed of that security. Thanks, Alfred. That's a very helpful uh, overview of the process. Now let's get into this a little bit deeper because this year in particular looks like it lends itself to tax loss harvesting. Uh, and, and I think that way because, of course, of the concentrated returns 
uh, we've seen in the marketplace. Can you provide a few sector and stock ideas to execute on this strategy, uh, knowing that certain certain sectors certainly have lag compared to the, the broader market uh, recovery? Thank you. Thanks, and I'll, I'll take a look at that, Mark, on the on the equity side at least. And as you say, even though markets are up in general um, this year, there's certainly um, specific sectors that are not um, and are trading well below their highs and, and where they were coming into 2019, uh, 2020 and even in 2019. In particular, I'm, I'm thinking about financials, you know, banks, um, energy-related stocks, of course, as well, and, and the real estate sector is another um, that has really come under pressure um, through through 2020 here. So, you know, for investors looking that have, you know, specific stocks in these sectors, so, you know, you might own a couple of different bank stocks. You might own BNS and BMO or TD or whatever it is. Um, you know, we think there's certainly a strong case to be made to be owning some of those Canadian banks. Um, and if you take a look at ZEB, our equal weight bank ETF, you know, the dividend yield almost 5%. Um, you know, for income-oriented investors looking for a tax-efficient yield that is just out of a plain vanilla equity portfolio, um, you know, that's that's certainly one of the areas we think you can be looking at. So, you know, again, if you're holding a couple of these stocks that are down over where they have been the last couple of years, but you, you're you still happy with that exposure, as Alfred said, um, you know, you still want that exposure, um, you know, you can sell off a couple of those individual banks and buy that equal weight bank ETF, buy the ZEB. And what you're doing is essentially maintaining a very similar exposure to what you had, um, but you're able to crystallize whatever loss is on the books for you to apply either this year, as Alfred mentioned, carry back a couple of years or even carry forward. Um, and so again, you know, that's that's one sector. You know, again, in the energy sector, I'm sure you could find various names that are down if you own a couple of different um, energy stocks themselves, and those are obviously very popular with Canadian investors. Um, you know, sell sell those stocks and buy the ZEO, our equal weight oil and gas ETF. Um, or even if you own um, uh, one of those uh, sector ETFs already, for example, an XEG, you can switch into the ZEO and maintain a very similar exposure. Or in the real estate sector, um, again, whether you own specific names or whether you own an ETF, you know, switching a an XRE holding into a ZRE holding, again, maintaining a very similar exposure um, to what you already have, but being able to crystallize that loss to, to use for tax purposes and really leave your investment portfolio somewhat undisturbed from what you already had. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And looking beyond equities, of course, tax loss harvesting does apply to uh, other asset classes. Uh, can you comment on two areas? One, preferred shares, which it's been an interesting year this year with uh, a sharp drop and now a recovery. Uh, but as well, considering their growth in the market and their importance to investors, uh, ETFs directly. Thanks. Um, sure. So I'll take that one. Um, so I think when you look at tax loss harvesting, it, you know, very often we talk about uh, tax loss harvesting and how it applies to equities. Uh, but it could, it could apply to, you know, any asset class. It could be applied to, you know, stocks, bonds, and even ETF to ETF. Uh, so you don't have to necessarily, uh, you know, one thing that, as I mentioned before, you don't have to uh, sell a security and remain in the asset class. Um, 
so, you know, preferred shares, as you mentioned, I think uh, has been very topical for tax loss harvesting as well. Um, one, because it tends to be widely held by a lot of Canadian investors. And, you know, in recent years, we've seen some losses in the preferred share space as well. Um, so, as I mentioned, you know, you could use um, tax loss harvesting by selling a preferred share ETF and rotating into another one as well. So, for example, if you look at the year-to-date losses for some of the preferred share ETFs, HPR is down 6.4%, CPD uh, 5%, uh, DXP uh, down 7%, and RPF also down 6% as well. All of those, uh, for example, you could dispose of those ETFs and then rotate it to something like you know, our laddered preferred share ETFs at PR as a good way to maintain exposure to preferred shares as well. Uh, one thing to keep in mind also is that, you know, very often we use uh, the year-to-date losses uh, when we look at, you know, the losses of the security. But one thing to keep in mind is that it should be the purchase price that you should be looking at. Uh, is that's, you know, that's the price you should be looking at when uh, you're looking to um, implement a tax loss harvesting strategy. Um, so one, one thing to keep in mind is that if you look at preferred shares and you look further back, uh, you know, depending on where you bought them, if it's two years, three years, uh, you could be down more than, uh, you know, the numbers that I stated earlier. Um, so that's one thing, you, that's one way in which you could use uh, tax loss harvesting for preferred shares. Uh, you could also use it for individual preferred shares as well. So one thing that we've been doing is that, um, you know, if you have a list of preferred shares, it could be one, one preferred share. It could be a list of 200 preferred shares, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, you can send it to us and we can evaluate the list. And what, what we uh, could do for you is that uh, you could sell those uh, securities into the fund, crystallize the losses, and then what you get back is the dollar value of the ETF. So if you are interested in doing that, uh, reach out to your ETF specialist and we can manage that for you. Great. Thanks, Alfred. And if I can pull one point out of what you said there as well, you know, of course, we're looking at 2020 returns as proxy of areas that might uh, might be applicable for this strategy. But you do need to look at your own uh, book costs on the basis of you, know, you might have held a certain security for a number of years or been buying and selling it in the meantime. So you can't just look at market returns. You, you of course, actually have to look at your own book value to see if the strategy makes sense for you. So with that, uh, I thought that was a great update coming into year end. I would like to open up the lines and see if there are any questions for Chris and Alfred. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Thanks for taking my question here. Uh, When it comes to tax loss selling, are there any sort of currency and or foreign exchange traps that advisors should be made aware of? Uh, For example, are switches from your ZWE into ZWP allowed or ZWS to ZWH.U? Thanks, and I'll uh, listen for your answer here. Sure, I'll take that. And so that that's something that is possible for advisors to look at, you know, taking a look at your the ZWE specifically, that's our European high dividend covered call strategy. Um, the ZWE is uh, hedged to Canadian dollars, so there's no foreign currency exposure in that strategy. An advisor could switch to the ZWP, um, which is the same underlying fund, but with currency exposure, so no currency hedge, um, and maintain you know, the underlying equity exposure. That certainly would be something that would be considered a deemed disposition um, for the advisor to take advantage of that tax loss selling. 
But at the same time, they just have to be aware that they are changing their actual exposure there. Um, they're going from a, a hedge to CAD portfolio to an unhedged portfolio. So they're taking on that currency um, exposure. So, you know, that's just one thing advisors do have to look at, you know, when they're doing these things is make sure that you're actually changing to what is a, a different strategy. And again, this is different because that currency exposure is different, but then also you have to be, be comfortable with that new exposure that you're taking on. Hello, good morning. I received uh, the tax loss harvesting document. I see that you're proposing to switch some U.S. equities uh, for a BMO ETF. Uh, can we use uh, Canadian or .U ETF to do tax loss harvesting? Because if my clients wants to stay in U.S. dollar, can we use like uh, a trust, but uh, a .U one? Thanks. Uh, yeah, that's certainly doable as well. So, you know, if you own U.S. stocks that are listed on a U.S. exchange and trade in U.S. dollars, um, in order to avoid, you know, switching to uh, a Canadian currency to buy a Canadian listed ETF, you can certainly buy one of our ETFs that are listed in Canada but trade in U.S. dollars. So, you know, ZFP.U, ZUQ.U, and there's actually quite a few of them. Most of our uh, U.S. equity exposures, we do offer a .U or a U.S. dollar uh, traded version of that ETF. So that's certainly um, uh, something that can be taken advantage of for, for investors. Yeah, hi. Good morning, gents. Um, I'm just curious here. You went over some sectors that have come under pressure this year. So I'm just curious on that same topic. So I wanted to hear your opinion. So what do you think of the recent – we're seeing a market rotation away from you know, those growthy tech names – uh, and into more cyclical value sectors, you know, such as industrials and materials. Uh, also notice a nice little pop in ZMT as well. I think that's the BMO global-based metals. So, so what do you think, uh, what is driving the interest in these areas of the, of the market, and is that sustainable? Thank you. Sure, I can take that one as well. And I, I think, you know, the interest in these sectors is, you know, looking for that, the next market leadership, right? And is technology going to dominate forever? Um, you know, there's a couple of factors playing into, you know, potential for cyclicals and, and value sectors, as you say, to, to outperform going forward. So, you know, first of all, recently we, we got GDP numbers from China um, that seemed very positive, you know, plus 4.9% on GDP. So, you know, China being a window into the, the post-COVID world, so to speak, um, and an indication that they will be driving global growth going forward. Um, you know, that leads to things like copper starting to trade at 2018 highs. So, you know, all these sectors um, and, you know, base metals is one of them that are tied to economic activity, global economic activity, um, you know, could potentially perform well um, if we see a return of global growth. And so, you know, what, what else is going to drive that? What is going to bring global growth around? Well, you know, one, a few catalysts that could be coming um, at the end of 2020 here, first of all, um, the U.S. election, um, you know, increasingly a lot of uh, research is, is, is leaning towards, you know, if we do get this sort of democratic sweep, this blue sweep, um, you know, it's highly expected there will be a significant stimulus package passed very early um, in, that, in that presidency. And so that will help things like obviously domestic sectors, you know, recover 
um, but also spillover effects into um, you know, uh, European and, and global stocks as well as um, economic growth gets spurred on by that. You know, Goldman actually just came out with something recently that said a $2 trillion stimulus package could add a, a couple of percentage points to GDP growth. So, you know, 2-3% GDP growth is very significant, obviously, and would have spillover effects globally. So, you know, you might see some of these sectors that have been beaten down um, start to turn into the market leaders if if we get um, into this scenario, um, you know, and then one other thing that might start to lead to these sectors outperforming as well is if there is a vaccine. Um, and I think, you know, early or end of November is kind of the earliest um, indication we'll get if some of these ongoing trials um, are successful. Um, and then deployment of that vaccine starting in, in early 2021 and then wide availability kind of mid-year 2021. Um, so I think, you know, investors looking at these catalysts, you know, might see very, very strong growth potential coming, um, you know, globally in 2021. Of course, you know, these are all optimistic scenarios for, for that to play out. Um, you know, maybe vaccines are, are much later than that. But, um, you know, for investors that think this is a, a significant possibility and starting to position for that in advance of these catalysts, um, I think is starting to drive some of these areas into uh potentially starting to outperform that um, what has been traditionally the leadership in is that technology sector. So thank you, Chris and Alfred, for joining us today, providing your insights uh, and an excellent overview of tax loss harvesting. And of course, thank you to everyone for dialing in. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in. And again, thanks for those questions. And with that, I just want to wish everyone a great day, and thank you one last time. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about innovative solutions that can help your clients thrive in tough markets, including the Global High Dividend Covered Call, ticker ZWG, the Premium Yield ETF, also known as ZPay, and finally, BMO GAM's Real Return Bond Strategy, ZRR, which adjusts the principle to keep pace with inflation. For more information about these ETFs, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit bmoetfs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at bmo.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.